Hi. I'm not Tom Cruise. But I'm going to be taking a mission that's made possible because of God's power in our lives. And it's going to be detailed throughout the book of Acts. So over these next 11 weeks, leading all the way up to Easter, we're going to be covering what God did with people who are willing to follow him. And I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And by the way, Bible is in our name, Fellowship Bible Church. So if you have one, bring one, because we're going to be in it each week. And if you don't have one, pick up one on the back there, on the back wall there. I don't even mind if you get up now and go and grab one. Uh, so that you can have it before your eyes. And if you don't have one at home, keep this. It's our gift to you. But if you do, you just forgot it, drop it off so we can give it to someone else. I believe as we look at the book of Acts, it starts with one key word. It's called power, God's power. And I believe all around the world, there's a universal longing for power. Outside of the U.S., there's the power to get out of poverty. There's the power for rights and privileges. There's a power to get out of war-torn areas. There's a longing for a power to survive sickness, famine, or injustice. Closer to home, we want power to advance a football from one end of the field to the next. We want power to land the job that we've always dreamed of. We want power to solve problems that limit you and the ones that you love. We want power to get into a relationship that might make us happy. We want power to get out of what we're going through when we don't like what we're going through. We want power to get happiness, to to get fulfillment, to find favor with people. We want power to live life on our own terms. But it's not just our world around us. It's also inside of a relationship with Christ. If you have found in following Jesus Christ, you really long for the very power of God to be at work in your life, to know the power of God and how to have it move through your life. You have a longing to see God work in and around you. Those of you who are experiencing health problems or mental problems want the power of God to deliver you from that. We have the desire to feel the power of God in our lives. And many times in conversations that I have with Christians, they're like, Joe, I don't hear God speaking to me like he speaks to other people around me. Is God real to me? Do I really know him if that doesn't happen? Well, the word of God is about real people in real places with real promises from a real God. And as we begin, we are going to read about a real promise to real people about a real power that God can give us. How do you live with the power of God in your life? And today we're going to be looking at the power that's alive and at work in the first followers of Jesus. And that same power, Paul says, in Romans eight eleven, is alive and at work in you. Here's the truth. There is no power of God in us without the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the power of the mission that God has us for is a power of the Holy Spirit. The writer of the book of Acts is named Luke. Sound familiar? If you read the New Testament, you'll find that Luke also gives an account of the life of Jesus. He wrote a two-volume set, Luke and then Acts. In Luke, he addresses Jesus Christ in the world. In Acts, he addresses the Holy Spirit in you, in the followers of Jesus. Power was a thing that the the, uh, followers of Jesus wanted in their lives. 
The disciples absolutely saw the power of God in Jesus as he worked miracles, as he taught powerfully, as he lived and as he died and as he rose again. Power, the power of the resurrection was something they wanted. And so when they met with Jesus after he resurrected, they asked, Lord, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? Is now that time when we get the power you have, basically? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. Only the father knows what time that when, when I return. Only the father knows that. But then he gives them this statement. Look at that in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Think about that. That's the power he was talking about. Now, here is the world that they operated under. Now, of course, it shows with all the lines, the current nations of the world. But here is the world they lived in. It was the Mediterranean world. It was the Roman Empire. Rome was king. Great mega power in this world at that time. Extended most of Europe well into the Middle East and Northern Africa. And this is what Jesus was saying. He spoke to them in Jerusalem. And he spoke to them on the Mount of Olives. And here's a picture I took of them from the Mount of Olives of the city of Jerusalem. Can you picture yourself there? Jesus resurrected, saying, you will be my witnesses, perhaps even held out his hand in Jerusalem. They had a bird's eye view of that city. Have you ever seen a city from a bird's eye view in an elevated place? Jesus used this place to kind of emphasize his mission. But it wasn't just Jerusalem. It was also their region, and that was the region of Judea. That was their area. Judea is like our Kansas. Our Jerusalem is Topeka. And then he was going to move them into a place they probably didn't want to go apart from his leading. And that was Samaria. They didn't like the Samaritans. They were in Jews mind. They were the half breeds. They worshipped God, but they also worshipped all the other gods that that the pagans would teach them. And they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. And yet Jesus said, you're going to witness in Samaria, all of Samaria. But he didn't just stop there. He moved them to the ends of the earth, the end of the earth at that time. And this is actually the geography of the movement of the gospel from a few people to the end of the earth. That's the book of Acts. Chapters 1 through 7 are the gospel in Jerusalem. Chapters 7 through 9 are the gospel in Samaria. Chapters 10 to 28 are the gospel to the end of the earth. They literally took it there in their generation. Don't you want to be a generation like that that can take the gospel from us outside of this place all around the world? I believe we live in an age where this could be done through the power of the Holy Spirit, through a willing church, through a willing people who are willing to be like them and be a witness to the end of the earth. And so as we think about this, uh, we come up and they waited for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And uh, they had 120 of them and they were in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Pentecost is literally 50. It represents 50 days after Passover. It was a celebration of the first harvest, the wheat harvest. Here in Kansas, we can celebrate the wheat harvest. We're the wheat state. We know what that's like. It's the first harvest of the year. 
And as it was in that day, uh, it was the, the, the best time to travel to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem just swelled with Jews from all around the world at that time. They all gathered to celebrate this festival. Well, the disciples were together with 120 others, men and women who were praying, who were worshiping, who were seeking the scriptures about Jesus. And the scriptures say in Acts chapter two, that suddenly what sounded like a great wind and fire from heaven came down and settled upon them. And they were they were enabled by the spirit to speak languages they had not previously known. Luke, as a doctor, the beloved doctor, traveling mate of Paul, as Paul describes him, he was careful in details, as most doctors are. Even in in that ancient craft of being a doctor, he was able to describe what happened, and he was careful to say, it's interesting that these guys were Galileans. They were what we call Southerners. They had their own little dialect. They said things differently than than the educated, than the intellectuals. And yet, Luke says, they were able to speak these languages that were known languages without their accent perfectly so that the mighty works of God could be declared in their languages. Now think with me. Before this point, before this time, if you wanted to learn about God and study the scriptures, you had to come to him in the Hebrew language. You had to learn the language to study the scriptures. Come to God, learn the language first. But here, what's happening is God is showing us something about his heart. He's opening it up. The curse, remember the Tower of Babel? Where, where they were in their pride, tried to build this tower up to heaven so they could get to God on their own terms in their own way. And God frustrated at them and scattered them through language. He scattered them. But here, what is happening through Jesus is he's rejoining all the nations back. And he's uniting them under the power of the Holy Spirit through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting here, what happens is the first one who gets up and speaks is is Peter. And Peter gets up to the question that many people poised at that point. And the question was, okay, what does this mean? What would you ask if something like that happened, if this supernatural experience would happen? Many of us, uh, many people who are skeptic of the, uh, of the scriptures will take a look at the New Testament people and they would say, oh, they're so archaic. I mean, it was way before the Enlightenment. They don't know what we know. They have simple minds. They're not intelligent. Look at that world of the Bible. And really what we'd find is there's the two reactions to Pentecost that would happen today if it happened. And some said, what does this mean? Others said they must be drunk. <laughs> we can do that. With the miracles of God, with the very mighty power of God, we can be a skeptic of it or we can we can ask a question. This question of what does this mean? Guess who speaks up? It's it's Peter. Remember, Peter, the first, the first to speak. He was the first to speak in Luke chapter nine. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the first to step out on the water when Jesus is walking on the water in Matthew chapter 14. He was the first to act out when Jesus got arrested. He lopped off the ear of the guard. And Jesus said, Peter, my paraphrase, knock it off. Not really, but I mean, and he restored the ear. 
He was the first to deny Jesus. Don't know him. Second, don't know him. Third, don't know him. But after Jesus resurrected from the dead, there was a major transformation in the life of Peter. He was the first one after the resurrection who said, I love you. Peter, do you love me? I love you. Peter, do you love? Of course, I love you. And here in the power of the Holy Spirit, as a result of the resurrection, Peter starts started speaking. And he started using the scriptures. One of the things that the, the apostles are known for in, in the Greek language is they were men of the logos, ethos, and pathos. And logos is they were men of the word. Ethos means they were men who followed Jesus. Their own eyes saw it. They gave testimony that would stand up based on their lives. They were men of integrity. Ethos is where we get the word ethics. And then pathos, they were men of passion. They were powerful and they were, they were enabled by the Holy Spirit, not only to proclaim the gospel, but also willing to die for the gospel. People of passion. And Peter starts out in, as a man of the word, the logos. And he said, this, what's happened here is detailed in the book of Job. Fire, wind, people prophesying, men and women, sons and daughters. And, and it's to show us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he moved to David in Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 16. And he quotes about David being the king, but the king who died. And now the king of kings who lived and was raised. He was a man of pathos. Look at what he said about the, the, the conclusion of his sermon in Acts 2.36. He said, let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you, whom you crucified. This was Peter's first sermon. Many commentators believe it was his best sermon. My first sermon was not my best sermon. I remember being nervous. I remember worrying. I was anxious. I was sweating. I had people looking at me like, what is going on with him? And I was not myself. And I think part of it was because I was more concerned about whatever, what others thought of me rather than the Holy Spirit moving through my life into the others' lives. But Peter spoke with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was an awesome message. And it's a pattern for us to follow. Number one, when you speak about Jesus, speak about the Jesus of the scriptures. There's many Jesuses in our world today being put forth. The Jesus who kind of is a nice guy, who we kind of want to be like, much like we want to be like Abraham Lincoln or other leaders in our world. Good moral man, but definitely not God. The Jesus who is kind of the Pedro theology of he will make our wildest dreams come true. That kind of Jesus is put forth in American Christianity. But the Jesus of the scriptures is the one who lived, who died and rose again from the dead for us. And it was a Jesus who came to take care of something for us that we couldn't take care of for ourselves. He lived a perfect life for us. He died a complete and final death for us. And he rose again from the dead. Life was in the name of Jesus. But he also did something that as a man of passion kind of pointed the finger and he said, you crucified him. Wow. That packed a punch, didn't it? That was the finger. That was the finger, the pointing of responsibility. You put him there. And the result was they asked the question, Oh, no, brothers, what should we do? 
In other words, they were so leveled by the sermon that they went, "Uh oh, I got nothing. I got nothing. I can't stand. Before I could stand on my good works, I could stand on my obedience to the law. I put the one God put forward for us. I put him on the cross. That's a mark of true repentance, by the way. Don't shy away from that one. So many of us, we just say, well, I'm going this way. God needs to go my way. And so when I bring Jesus into my life, I, he follows me. But here they were leveled by it. They were leveled by it. We all have to come to the point where we're humbled by our own sin. And where we realize we can't save ourselves. At that point, there's this empty brokenness about us. We're not called to stay there for a long time, but we're called to have a time of repentance when we come to Christ, where we say, oh, my goodness, Jesus died in my place. He took what I deserve for me. I put him there. It's not anyone else's. I put him there. And when you realize your brokenness, then you can look up to Jesus because that's exactly what Peter says. He says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me talk to you about that. He does two things here. Number one, he tells them of what they're called to do. Repent and be baptized. I know some different uh, denominations will look at this and say, see that if to be a true believer, you must be baptized. But if you trace this throughout the book of Acts, you're not going to find that. You're going to find that when people believed, they got baptized. So there shouldn't be a long time between you believing and you being baptized. You should get baptized. We call everyone to be baptized who believes. If you don't believe, don't get baptized. But if you believe, get baptized. That's why we have it each month. And we call everyone here, whether you, you know, before you believed You got baptized? Well, we call you once you believe, then get baptized. And to proclaim that, it's a public statement. You're going to see that public statement of someone who repented and is following Christ to do that. We call you into that. Peter called them into it. But then he says what they receive. They receive the forgiveness of sins and then the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're given that power. Everyone who believes has this power. Now, what was the result of this? It says, and this is where I really want to put down the anchor, is in Acts 2, 41. Look at it with me. It says, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Think about that. 3,000. They went from 120 to 3120 in one day. Now, when I traveled to Israel a few years back, I took this picture of Harold and Patty Ramsey. They're standing and Harold has his arm up, not just around his wife, but holding right on the the sill of where of the doorway of where Peter gave this message, this sermon. And if you if you were to look to your left, you would see this view. That's the Mount of Olives. Think about it. He's there in the shadow of the great call of Jesus that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And he was obedient to the call of God and he could see the place where Jesus ascended and he could see the people that God was entrusting to him. He was answering a question. What does this mean? He was answering a question. What should we do? 
every good sermon explains what does this mean and what should we do? And that's what he did. He was faithful to it and people received it. They believed. They believed and they were baptized up to this point, up to 15 years ago. Skeptics of the scriptures questioned, how could 3000 people be baptized in that place? I mean, water was a scarcity. And if you believe in the Baptist way of dunking, okay, how could you have enough water to baptize 3000 people? I don't think it happened, they would say. And then they started doing some archaeological excavations in that very place. And over to the right of where Peter was preaching, they unearthed about four, no less than 47 ceremonial baths that people washed in before they went and worshipped in the temple. Here's my philosophy. Keep digging. (laughs) When I travel, if you have a question, all we got to do is keep digging. They skeptics have said this for a long time about the scriptures. But what we're finding through archaeological evidence, keep digging. The scriptures are verified. Three thousand people were baptized that day. And then let's read about this new community of Christ followers who were empowered by the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 242, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. As they were selling their, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. This was this new community empowered by the Holy Spirit, Spirit experiencing the power, responding to the work of God, proclaiming, the, the work of what God has done. This was their world. This is the world that they influenced. This is our world. This is our country. This is our Judea. This is our Jerusalem. Do we still, can we still live in this same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that was alive and at work in them? Can it still be alive and at work in us? And the answer is absolutely It's the same God with the same promises about the same person, Jesus. It's the same God who's promised to the Old Old and New Testament followers who is going to be faithful. And so we're called to walk in the Spirit, to live in the power of the Spirit. And we're going to get a choice. We can either live in the flesh or we can live in the Spirit. One is our own power, the flesh. The other is the very spirit and power of God in our lives. What can we say is evidence that you have the spirit in you? The first one that they looked at is that they believed. So if you want the spirit of God, believe. In Acts 2.38, it says that Peter said to them, repent and and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the power of of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God opens hearts to believe. 
He was working in Peter as he preached and he opened their eyes with the word that was preached and he gave them the power to become, as John says in John 1, 12, the children of God. The answer to, to what should we do was met with the command, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the power to believe is given to us by the spirit. If you believe the spirit has opened your mind, he's opened your heart to trust in him. Thank him. But you know what? It's not just the power to believe in Jesus. It's the power to believe and to continue believing. That's also something that, that we're set apart for God's works through the Holy Spirit in us who helps us trust when we don't know what to do. We can trust that God does. When we don't, when we're led by impulses, when we're led to kind of trust ourselves and to put our confidence in us, the Holy Spirit says, no, you can trust him. You want to begin with the power of God in your life? Believe in Jesus. Secondly, obey God's word. The spirit was working through the preaching of the word. Look at verse 41. It says, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. And it says that they devoted themselves. It goes, jumps real quickly into once they believed, they devoted themselves in verse 42 to the apostles teaching. They were a teaching church, but they were also an obedient church. So you get something from Christmas and I don't know, this just plays itself every time I really get a cool gift that I love is I open it up and out falls the instructions. And as soon as I see the instructions, I go, ugh. I mean, there's multiple pages. It's a book. It's written in other languages. I'm not really interested in reading. It's multiple steps. It's frustrating. And so I begin, don't need the instructions. And I start to put it together and I do pretty well. And I put it together. The problem is, as I end up with two fistful of parts that are not installed. And so that's why the ceiling fan falls down and is dangling by wires. And, and my wife is looking at me like, I think we need to call someone now. No, maybe I needed to read the instructions. See, instructions are helpful. We want the fan to work without following the instructions. And the problem is, is many of us want God to do for us what we want him to do, but we don't want to follow his instructions. And so obedience comes out. Now, I know you don't like the word obey. Very few of us do. It takes us back to our childhood. But I put it there with intention because it's a word that needs to get in our grill. See, following Christ means obeying God's word means that we're people in God's word. You want to put me to depend on my flesh? Keep me away from the word. You want to keep me taking credit for success? Keep me away from the word. You want to keep me God dependent? You want to keep me giving God the glory? Get me in the word. And I think the same is for you. You can literally see the difference that a daily connection into God's word will do in your life. But it's not just knowing God's word. It's not just seeing God's word. It's obeying God's words. It's trusting God, believing in in Christ and following what God would want for you. Uh, Apart from God's word, his word seems harsh. It seems multi-page. It seems different language. It seems I can do this on my own. But when the blades come off in your life and you wondered, why didn't I follow God's word? See, those who train their lives and devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to God's word, guess what happens? There's joy. There's direction. There's guidance. 
there's peace. The fruit of the Spirit is a result of getting in and following the Word of God. Get in. Whatever excuse you put up to keep away from the Word, get in. Clear it away, especially in this new year, and get into the Word. We even have a quick, I love the quick guide to get you into the Word. We call it our journal for you to get into God's Word. You'll read the book of Acts throughout this time on a, on a smaller day-by-day way to get into our reading program. You can download our app. That's just, again, a real quick thing. In three taps, you can get into God's Word on a daily basis and join with us as we devote ourselves to the teaching of the Word in our lives. Obey God's words. That's how, how the Holy Spirit works. He opens our eyes and empowers the Word in our lives. But they also loved others. Because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. That word fellowship, we're named fellowship, but it's literally the Greek word koinonia, which means common. In other words, they, there was no ladders of success. There was no distinction. They were all part of God's family. Boy, our world divides us into incomes. It divides us into position. It it, uh, it, it, it tests or it, it gives report cards on how you are with where you should be with everyone around you. And the church is a place where it's koinonia. It's common. They said the same thing about Jesus. They saw the same thing in each other. A need for him. A love for each other. Look what it says in verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Think about this with me. Think about what happened there. They went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. Only through the power of the Spirit could they love each other. And the power of God moved through them so that they could add 3,000 into their number. 25 times their original number. I'm sure that some of them felt it was huge and that was overwhelming. The 120, they could know the names of people. But 3,000, there's no way they could know them. We put up the same issues. I attended Fellowship Bible Church when we were 120. And now that we're over 3,000, I hear the same things. I don't know anyone here anymore. This is too much for me. This is too overwhelming for me. It's overwhelming for me. Do you know how much it bothers me that I don't get names? I mean, names are over the waterfall now. I can know some of your names. Some of you I've known for years and I still mess up your name. But do you know what? God is about something greater than one person knowing 4,000 names. He's about his love in us. He's about using us and even breaking down small. That's why we have a small group ministry, so we can be smaller as we grow larger. And we can have meaningful moments where we know each other and can care for each other and pray for each other. Here the picture was, is they were generous. We don't like that word. Some people go, ah, this is communism. There's the New Testament picture for communism. But they had personal property. They called them homes and they met in their homes. But they used everything that God had given them to witness the power of Jesus Christ. They loved others. 
And we too are called to do that. You want the love and the power of God in your life? Live the love of Jesus. I mean, it's amazing to me. That's the distinctive of the love of Jesus is that you show up to give, not get. You talk to most uh, people getting into a relationship. Why are you getting in? Because I want someone in my life. I want to have a relationship. We show up to get. Guess typical people when they're looking for a church. I want a children's program. I want a youth program. I want a good message. I want a good worship time. It's what we can get. It's what we want. But do we show up to give? One's a buffet mentality. The other's I show up and I realize God has crafted me to be a part of a community where I'm called to love them, no strings attached. It's the love of the spirit that shows up to give, no strings attached. That was that New Testament community that we're called into through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way you can love others the way Jesus loves them is to love with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they worshiped. They worshiped God. It says they not only devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, but also the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Look at the attitude. Glad, generous hearts praising God. They made worship not about themselves and their own preferences. They made worship about praising God. And out of the overflow of our hearts will be worship. It'll either be worship of ourselves or worship of God. And they worshiped God. It showed two locations that they worshiped God. They worshiped them in assembly at the temple, but they also worshiped him in their homes. And one's not better than the other. It's just a little bit different. And so they they worshipped in those locations where there wasn't the temple anymore. They usually went to the synagogue because the gospel could be easily preached off of the background of the Old Testament. But here's the deal. They were devoted to it. It wasn't just a group that they signed up with, that they said that they were a part of and they never attended. They were there and they were in. They loved each other. They worshipped God together. And then they engaged the world with the gospel. They didn't just keep it inside. They were outsiders also. They went outside, it says, and having favor with all the people. That meant the people who were outside their community. They had favor with them. And and so much so that the Lord added to their number day by day for those who were being saved. How do you make life about something greater than yourselves or even people who believe like you? You get into the power of the Holy Spirit who takes you to people and places you would have never planned, but everywhere that's in need of the gospel. Over and over throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see how God has a heart for people. He's a missionary God. He moves people outside of the church into their communities around the world to the end of the earth. And and therefore, when you follow the Holy Spirit, he's going to take you to people outside of your church. And he's going to move you outside to make a difference and advance the gospel in those places. Think about that. God has a heart for people. And as you live with the power of the Holy Spirit, you want the power of God in your life? Engage the world with the gospel. Folks, these five practices detailed in Luke, uh, in Acts here, seem ordinary, don't they? 
nothing new, ancient even. They're part of our everyday faith. Their actions can seem routine, sometimes even boorish. Yet what makes them transformational is that they're all empowered by the very spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, who is alive and at work in the church in the New Testament and now is alive and at work in you. Each one of these, we have the choice. Will I do these in my own power, the power of the flesh, or will I do these in the power of the spirit? Will I believe in the flesh, in myself, in my own capacities, with my own skills and gifts? Or will I believe in a power greater than myself, the power of Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose again for me? Will I obey my way in the flesh or God's way in the spirit? Will I love to get in the flesh or to give in the spirit? Will I worship in a fickle way with personal preferences that if my church doesn't measure up to and make me feel happy and satisfied after each message that I will go and look at another place in the flesh or will I stay and look for the spirit to move and work in my life? Will I engage my world and make it about people like me who look like me and act like me and talk like me or will I make it about people God cares for to the end of the earth? And engage the gospel. Engage the world with the gospel. God has provided everything we need to find and follow him. He's called us to this mission. To be a witness to the end of the earth. And he's empowered us to make an impossible mission without him. Possible with him. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's join him in this mission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the start to this mission in the book of Acts. And may we be people whose lives are marked by the very power that raised Jesus from the dead that's alive and at work in us, the power of the Holy Spirit through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.